0: It is great to see you guys. Thank you so much for being here. We're going to continue a series that we started last week entitled Three Enemies of Your Soul. Uh, And last week, just to give you a quick recap, we looked at the fact that Jesus, and then is followed by all the New Testament writers, were really clear that we are in a war. Now, this war is not a physical war with bombs and guns, and it's not even a political war, but it is a spiritual war, a war between lies and truth. And in this war, the source of all deception and all lies, Jesus was very clear, is this dark animating force he calls the devil. He says, and the devil's real and you need to know he's real and you need to also know that he has a sinister plan to try to destroy your life. So this is a really important place to start even though I realize that in our day and age for a lot of people, they're not really even open to have that conversation. But Jesus says, it's important for you to at least have an open mind to what I am teaching and what I am telling you because I'm trying to define for you the reality of the universe in which you were born that you may not understand. As a matter of fact, later we will see, Jesus says, it is for this reason I have come to bring the truth to help clarify the deceptions uh, and delineate the truth from the lies. And uh, one of the places where Jesus, we looked last week that Jesus talks about this is over in the, the chapter 8 of the Gospel of John, where he talks about that the devil is the origin point for all deception. He says he's the father of lies, and when he speaks, he (laughs) speaks his native language. Like, this is how he is, and he has been this way from the beginning, all the way back. And so, this is what he says about the truth, though. I've come that you might understand the truth, and it could help set you free. In chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says to the Jews who had believed in him, He says, he gives them this if-then statement, okay? Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, a lot of people misunderstand this statement. Jesus didn't just say, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He says, no, hold to my teaching those who hold to my teaching are really my disciples, then, when you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth. There's something about the applying of God's word, not just knowing about it, but actually living it out, choosing it as your lifestyle, that there is this elevation, there is this deeper understanding of wisdom that comes, this deeper understanding of truth that comes that can set you free. Jesus says. He gives us this if then. If you do this, then this will happen. This is the way the universe is set up. If you follow me, you hold to me. This Greek word that we have for hold right here is actually the same word that's translated uh, remain in me over in chapter five, 15, rather, of John, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Anyone who remains in me, like connected to me, living off of my power, my, I'm your source for life. He says that you will bear much fruit spiritually, but apart from me, you can do nothing of spiritual significance. Like, you need to stay connected to me. This isn't like, a okay, here's your marching orders. Okay, go take off and don't let me be a part of being interactively a part of what you're doing going forward. I need to be a a regular, a part of your life. So there's this pursuit of taking the truth of Jesus and putting it into our life, and there is a truth and a freedom that comes from that process. Now, we have so many beautiful examples within the Bible and even all throughout Christian history, and I want to point to one of them right now, which I think is a fascinating one that I came across a while back. It was back in the 4th century, around 370 AD, a young intellectual by the name of Evagrius of Pontus had decided that he was going to go out into the Egyptian desert and fight with the devil, okay, you know, like you do. And uh, so he goes and does this, and word gets out that there's this young monk out in the desert, the wasteland, taking on the devil, and evidently he's winning. And when he was asked later, when he came back, like, why? What was your rationale behind doing this? He said, well, this is what Jesus did, right? Matthew chapter 4, he gets baptized, he goes into the wilderness, he's tempted. He goes out there, and he discovers some beautiful insights, which later he says, I'm just simply doing what Jesus did, so I'm really not as brilliant as you might think I am. And I've gotten his book. He wrote this book. It was really later in his life he wrote down this book. It's called Talking Back, a monastic handbook for combating demons, which has got to be the best subtitle, like, ever, right? That's, that's pretty amazing. But in the book, he basically... Um, helps to break down this idea that when uh, the overarching idea of the book is when we are trying to resist or come against demonic temptation, which whether you realize it or not, every one of us are coming against that, he says you have to first understand what you're coming against is a belief structure, an internal narrative that's going on in your head, thought patterns that you've adopted You don't even realize you did it. It's just kind of a part of your culture. Maybe you grew up this way. Your best friend gave you this thought pattern. Somehow, some way, you have adopted this, what sociologists and neurobiologists have come to learn as mental maps of reality. He was like 1,700 years ahead of his time. And again, he would say, Jesus is the one who did this. I just relayed it, right? But he's basically saying, we have these mental maps of reality that we all have adopted. But some of them, he would say, some of them seem to have a dark, sinister, evil force behind them that are moving us towards destruction. And later we see the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 talking about this. Why is it that sometimes I do what I don't want to do, and what I do want to do, I have a hard time doing? Can anybody relate to that? You find yourself like, even though you may not give into it all the time, but there's a temptation. To want to do something you know you play the movie in your head that's going to sabotage my my marriage or my life or my career or my reputation in the community like that would destroy me I can't say yes to that but so why would I even want to do it and he would say Jesus was right there is a dark sinister force called the devil that is working in your life and he would say listen Jesus was also right that if we hold to his teaching, we not only become really his disciples, but there is a truth that will set us free from the deceptions and lies. In other words, he discovered the same thing we looked at last week. I'm gonna kind of give you an encapsulation statement of what we looked at last week and what he discovered in his book, and that is this, our fight with the devil is a fight to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies with the weapon of the truth. He's saying, "The truth is what will emancipate. It is not just any source, but Jesus as a source of truth. So it leaves us to ask the question, the exact same question that the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, when Jesus was being tried before Pilate the night before his crucifixion, he asked Jesus at the end of their conversation, "What is?" truth what is truth now you may not think that's a really important question but that might be one of the most important questions you ever ask and how you decide to answer that question personally and whether you've realized it or not or thought it through or not you have answered that question in one way or another you're answering that question that question for you what is truth is your way that you have you define reality it is how you understand the world around you how you understand relationships how you understand money how you understand sexuality how you understand the future how to be successful you all you have defined this by some form of truth in your life that you got from somewhere and. The way we define rea- uh, the truth really becomes our reality, and it's what we put our trust in. It, it, we, we automatically put our belief and our trust in the things that we believe are reality. The chair you're sitting in right now is reality, and you have decided to trust it, didn't you? You put your belief in or your backside in <laughs> as you came in, which is great. The air, we're all breathing. It's reality. Your chair is reality. Jesus is reality. And I came across this great, great quote recently that reality is also what you run into when you're wrong, right? If someone decides to adopt a belief that's not in keeping, incongruent with reality, let's say they say, I can fly, right? And they get up on the roof of the church and decide, oh, look at this, I'm about to fly. Reality is what they will hit about two seconds later, right? And it, it, you, we even find ourselves sometimes when we're talking to our kids, when we warned them and they didn't change their behavior and there was a consequence. It says you just, we'll say something like this, you just got a little dose of reality, right? And what we're saying is that your, your behavior has just met its consequence, and they always have. There's a pairing, right, uh, of what we think we uh, know as truth, and it has a consequence of reality. So truth is our reality. Therefore, lies, lies are when we discover something is incongruent with reality. We say something is a lie when we, say, when we d- discover that it does not correspond to the reality that we have discovered, we have verified. I remember when um, our girls were little and they used to share a bathroom and I would come in there and, you know, I know this never happens at your house, but there were like wet towels all over the floor. And I'd say, hey girls, come in here. Who left the wet towels on the floor? And all, I mean, invariably, first girl that gets there, like, I don't know, but it wasn't me, you know? And then her sister would show up and say, she's lying. Okay, I know you're shocked that that happened in a pastor's home, right? Anyway, but what was she saying? She was saying, let me translate. She was saying her claim does not correspond to reality. That's what she's saying. Anytime we find something to be a lie or incorrect, we're saying the reality of the way the universe and the world really works, that's not in keeping with it. And... We have to adjust according to what the truth actually is. And it's really kind of interesting that there's a lot of writing about this right now. As I said earlier, psychologists, neurobiologists, sociologists talk about this idea of mental maps, that we all live by mental maps. It's our way of navigating reality. Whether you call yourself a religious person or not, we all have them and they have consequences if they're true or if they are not true. And they are just like an actual physical map. They help us to get from one place to another. If we're trying to be successful in our relationships or with our finances or with our career, we have a A mental map that we follow that is helping us based on the reality and all the evidence that we have gathered in this life to try to get to where we hope to go. We hope to arrive at a certain destination in the future. We're going to follow a mental map to get there, right? It's just like a physical map. Like if somebody came up to me and said, well, how do you get from Brazos Fellowship to Kyle Field? And hopefully you all know where that is, right? But I would tell people, okay, you go out here to Southwest Parkway, you make a left, you go to um, Texas Avenue, make a right, go all the way down to George Bush, make, hang another left, and go down to Welburn, make a right, and just look to the right. You'll see it, right? You can't miss it. It's really big. Right there, Kyle Field. Now, even as I was giving you those instructions, I bet most of you, you know this town well enough. You could picture in your mind, oh yeah, I know where that light is, Texas. I know where George Bush, I know. You could follow me literally in a mental map. You do exactly how that went. Now, what if you were to ask directions to a place that you don't know, you've never been there before, and you ask somebody how you get there, and they draw you a map, and they say, oh, this is all you have to do, just follow these directions. You follow those directions to a T, but you don't arrive at your destination. You just get more and more lost. You would have to come to one or two conclusions that your map giver was either totally ignorant and had no idea what he or she was talking about, or they were evil. They wanted to keep you lost. They wanted you to stay lost and never be found or never arrive at your destination, right? And this is the warning that Jesus is saying, that the latter. Is the devil's um, agenda for every person? The thief, he says, this demonic thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's trying to keep you. Lost. And we all, every one of us has a mental map that we navigate relationships, we navigate our finances, we navigate our marriages, we navigate our future, how we raise our children. We use these mental maps for better or for worse, whether they are true and they correspond to reality or they are false and they are heading us towards a reality check, a dose of reality. And this is uh, exactly what the philosopher Dallas Willard was saying when he says, we truly live at the mercy of our ideas. The things that we entertain, the, 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 the uh, belief structures and inter- internal narratives that we entertain throughout the day, they dictate so much about our lives. And I hope as we go through this message, you will begin to say, where have I started believing a lie? Where have things going awry for me. Because when we believe the truth, and and what I mean by truth is that what we believe in corresponds to how things actually are, correspond to actual reality, you will flourish as a human being. Your ability to relate to other people, to God, to yourself, you will thrive, your soul, will grow, expand, and you will be happy. Jesus gave us, at the right at the beginning of his most famous sermon, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. And that Greek word blessed also could be translated happy are those, happy are those. He's trying to show us how to live a joyful, blessed, happy life in him. And it's not dependent upon circumstances. For those who have based their life upon a lie, however, There's gonna be a constant feeling of incongruency with the reality of the world. A constant fighting of trying to make it right when it never quite feels or is like what it ought to be or the destination you hoped and thought you were gonna arrive at. You never get there and it slowly crushes your soul and keeps us in torment throughout our lives, and Jesus is like, I came to give you life and to the full, but it's gonna require you to hold to my teaching. It's incredible what it will do for you. Our ideas shape how we live and who we become. Our ideas shape who we are and, uh, pardon me, shape how we live and who we become, the outcome of our life. And if we're living according to something that is false, it is just an illusion, reality is not going to adjust for us. I love this quote. Reality does not adjust itself to our illusions. If we have accidentally adopted, it doesn't matter how sincere you are. I know some people say, yeah, you know, their, their worldview, you know, they don't agree, but they're just so sincere. It doesn't matter how sincere you are, if you run off the building, the reality of gravity is going to take over. And Jesus was very clear about this, that broad is the way that many take. Few, you know, Narrow is the path of those who find eternal life, the ones who follow me. And he's inviting us into that truth that everybody is invited, everybody is included. I want to draw you closer to me. Now now what I'd like to do is talk about maybe one of the most sensitive topics or issues of our world today. And certainly one of the biggest moral issues of our generation, that being of human sexuality, okay? And let me just say before I dive into this idea, this big topic here, tell you what my goal is my goal is to help your soul to become healed and whole with God okay what I'm not trying to do is trying to hold people who are not believers who are not followers of Jesus to a standard that only God calls his people followers of Jesus Christ Christians to like Paul the Apostle Paul said in first Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 12, he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? So I'm not trying to do that today. But I am trying to say, for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, I want you to really examine your own heart where you may have been pulled or persuaded to begin to adopt some things that have been big parts of our culture for the last 60 years or more that have really made a huge, and and they have a huge ramification on where we are and how we live today. So I want to read to you a quote from uh, Live No Lies. It's a book written by John Mark Comer. And in this quote, he shares a sobering historical overview of our nation, our country, since the 1960s of the sexual liberation revolution movement and what it has done to us and where we are today. So let's just take a look at that together. This is how he begins. He says, the sexual liberation revolution of the 1960s set in motion a cascade effect. The reversal of long-standing moral consensus around promiscuity which separated sex from marriage worked in tandem with the advent of birth control and legalization of abortion which separated sex from procreation which moved on to the legalization of no-fault divorce which turned a covenant into a contract and separated sex from intimacy and fidelity then to tender and hookup culture which separated sex from romance and turned it into a way to just get your needs met from there, it's moved on to the LGBTQI plus revolution, which separates sex from male-female binary, the current transgender wave, which is an attempt to separate gender from biological sex, and the nascent polyamory movement, which is an attempt to move beyond two-person relationships. Amid the revolution, the questions nobody seems to be asking are, is this making us better people, more loving people, or even happier people? Are we thriving in a way we weren't prior to the liberation? Nobody is really even asking these questions, much less taking, making a serious attempt to research the data. It's just assumed. And Comer goes on to say, listen, it's high time that we take a step back and begin to evaluate the mental maps we have adopted for this area of our life. Is this the destination we're hoping to head towards? I want to share with you a little bit of the data that he, I'm just going to give you a fraction of what he shares in the book, but I think it helps to make the point, okay? He says, Happiness levels, based on the research, have been in decline in the U.S. since the 1960s. Research also shows that children of divorce struggle to develop intimate, healthy relationships as adults. Those who cohabitate before marriage are less likely to marry, more likely to get a divorce if they do, and often develop a long-term trust issues with uh, those in relationships with them. The research also shows research on oxytocin and vasopressin, the two chemicals released during sex that cause us to bond with one another. It turns out that the more sexual partners that you have, the less capacity your body, physical body, has for intimacy. Isn't that interesting? Or the much-documented but little-talked-about data on the effects of abortion on women's mental and physical health. The U.S. National Cancer Institute estimates that women who have had induced abortions increase their risk of getting breast cancer before the age of 50 by 49%. Many women undergo post-abortion syndrome, which is akin to PTSD, and it causes many different effects. Some women will experience sleeping difficulties, panic disorders, eating disorders, depression, and even suicidal thoughts and let me pause here just to say if you are a woman and this is a part of your story I'm not bringing this up to bring shame upon you I want you to know there is grace mercy and compassion from us it breaks my heart when every time I talk to somebody this is a part of their story because I know they carry with them a heartbreak and a burden that nobody told them about and I just want you to know we love you we care about you because God loves you and there is a second chance there is forgiveness, there is grace there is mercy, there is compassion from your Heavenly Father, you just need to know that research also tells us that sexual abuse and sexual assault is getting worse, not better statistically one in four women will experience sexual violence at some point in their lives and many, many at college and even in our most elite Ivy League universities you can look this up It's crazy. This completely contradicts the idea that this evil would go away if we could just educate more. We've got some of the most highly educated people ever. There is a dark animated force that is working against the flourishing of humanity. Jesus was right. And it's high time that we begin to say, are we moving towards where we thought we were? going to our destination that we thought, are we getting better? I love what Mary Eberstant in her book, Adam and Eve, After the Pill, she makes this beautiful observation based on all of her research. Contrary to conventional depiction, the sexual revolution has provided a disaster for many men and women, and its weight has fallen heaviest on the smallest and weakest shoulders of society. Are we following the right map, ladies and gentlemen? Are we following the right map? Somebody's gotta ask the question. This liberation is starting to feel a lot like slavery. What we thought was gonna set us free, you got all the choices in the world, feels like enslavement. Life is getting bled out of us at a rapid rate. There's destruction that's happening to so many that thought there's no consequences here. But I just want to encourage you today, would you be willing to just entertain the thought that maybe the mental maps that we collectively as a society have adopted are not heading towards the destination that we thought it would. As a matter of fact, we're moving further and further into very dangerous, dangerous territory. And just like Jesus said, ideas are being weaponized against us. It's not helping, it's hurting. And it's high time that we begin to say, okay, maybe Jesus was on to something here. (laughs) His truth, we ought to take a second look at it. We ought to trust it because Jesus said truth can be known in a world where you're being told, no, you can't know truth. Our postmodern philosophers like Derrida and Foucault would tell you that no, truth is oppressive. Truth will, will, will take away your options. Jesus would say, the truth is the only thing that will set you free. We have a world that is contradicting the very things that Jesus taught and we wonder why we feel so trapped and life has lost its meaning and there's no purpose and there's no morality and the, the origin of where we came from and where our destiny lies seems to have faded into the background and Jesus says, I will provide all of that. I have truth for you. On the most important questions Of the human condition, but you have to trust me. You have to turn to me. You see, going back to that interview between Pilate and Jesus on the night of his trial before the crucifixion, Pilate says, so you're a king. I hear you're a king. And Jesus' reply in verse 37 was this. He says, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the, let's say it together, to the the truth and everyone on the side of the truth listens to me, to which the the classic famous question is asked by Pilate, what is truth, what is truth, we're still asking that question today, what is truth, what is the actual truth about how we should be making decisions about things like sexuality. And about what is actually important in life. And how to raise our children. And how to set them up well for the next generation. And what should be the ultimate goal of life. And how do we get to the end of life? How do we know when we get to the end, we'll be able to look back and say, thank you God that I was able to live a life well lived. Like I was able to do it in a way that there's no regrets. Like there's a way to know that. People act like that's unknowable information, but it is absolutely knowable. It's why Jesus came as a rabbi, a teacher. What is a teacher? He's a truth teller. He is a moral cartographer. He's a map maker of reality. He helps us to understand the reality of the universe we've been born into. We don't have a clue. This is why he came. He says, let me help you. This is why when Jesus would look out and says they were like sheep without a shepherd running here and there and everywhere and Jesus says the, the fields are white for the harvest. These people need God so bad and this is why I am here. And he tells his disciples this so they will join him in his work to share his truth with more people. And this is why Jesus came. See, Jesus taught that truth can be known and it is critical to our faith. That faith is not divorced from knowledge. It is a part of knowledge. This is why even here at Brazos Fellowship, we talk about how faith and life work together. You know why we say that? Because Jesus taught that. He was always trying to help people to see how does what, faith in him, faith in God, corresponds and, and it has this um, coherence to reality like nothing else in the universe. This knowledge, God wants us to understand Him. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this knowledge of Him is imp- critical to even having the gift of salvation. In John chapter 17, verse 3, He tells us, Now this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To know, not to think, maybe I, I, it seems like the best of all the options. No, you can know with confidence. You can know with confidence and have faith in this. Faith has gotten a bad rap. Sometimes faith in our culture, it's believed that faith is just for the religious. Let me just debunk a myth faith is not just for the religious everybody lives by faith everybody faith is simply living as though something were true you play we all place faith in someone or something to create our mental maps of reality everybody i don't care if you you call yourself a christian or not everybody lives by faith everybody does the question is who or what have you placed your faith in? Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to give you the absolute truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I am what you are looking for, period. And one of his big calls to commitment you hear throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see echoed throughout his ministry, is captured for us in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, where he says this, the time has come the kingdom of God has come near. Let's say these words together. Repent and believe, this is another word for faith, the good news. Repent, turn from your old mind maps, your old belief structures and internal narratives, and believe the good news. To lay hold of this new truth. He's simply saying rethink your mental maps and trust those of Jesus. Trust those of me. I'm telling you how to be free. I'm telling you the truth so that you may be truly free, to be set free from the inside out. And you can help other people find the same true liberation, the true freedom that comes from knowing and living the truth of Jesus and knowing Him. He is the truth. You, you, you come to know Him intimately. So here are the questions I want to ask you to, just to begin to think about as we wrap up today. Whose mental maps... Do you trust? Where did you get some of your mental maps instead of getting them from Jesus? And where have you placed trust in something that is not from Him? I just want to get you to, to really consider, would you be willing to turn from that, repent of that, and turn to the good news the truth of Jesus, and begin to let 2022 be the year like, I really want to find out what does it mean to follow Jesus, to really live out what he taught, what he did. Because he says, through my spirit, it's possible for you to do the same. And even greater works you will do, he says. I want to help you to do this. He didn't call us to a life that's impossible. He called us to one that is possible. But it's only possible with him. The other question I want you to get to think about is, are you currently believing any lies, Where have you found yourself constantly just saying, this is not heading to the destination. I thought it would. These relationships, maybe you've been caught up in a cycle of really unhealthy, broken, messed up, abusive even relationships. It's time to say, God, I'm done going off my mental map that clearly is not heading to the right destination. Would you please help teach me your truth about this I want your truth about finances, about how to deal with my money, how to put you first in this area. I want to put you first in my marriage with my kids, with my career, with my spirituality. I want to make it a priority that I grow in my relationship with you daily. Would you be willing to do that today? He promises that if then, if you will do this, then you will know the truth, finally, and it will set you free. What a blessing. What a gift. We overcomplicate this thing. Jesus is saying, listen, I put the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody could get them, right? We just look right past them. He's saying, listen, I want you to come to me. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services.